Hi, it's Dan here for Dusty Discs Radio, and this is the podcast Liner Notes, revealing chats with Canada's retro music makers. Today, I'm very happy to once again have as my guest Peter Foldy, a multifaceted talent who has been a successful musician, screenwriter, film director, producer, speaker. Peter was nominated for two Juno Awards and has had multiple top 10 hits across Canada and the U.S., most notably his first song, Bondi Junction, which reached number one on the Canadian charts. So we'll be revisiting his career inside the Canadian music scene and see what he's been up to since we last talked almost three years ago. So uh, thanks for joining me once again, Peter. How are you? I'm good, Dan. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, I appreciate it. I, you know, we've done not very many of these, but some of the people that we had on, and, and you were one of the very first people that we had on, and it was almost three years ago now, and we thought, you know, we should uh, do some follow-up. So we've done only a few, but you're one of them that we wanted to do, so I appreciate you coming back on. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, yeah. too. Yeah. And you're in L.A. right now. Are you, you, we talked last time about you and how much you travel and, and where you live, and, and you're in L.A. right now? I am. I, I arrived, actually, from Toronto last night. I was in Massachusetts on a movie for a couple of weeks, and then I went to Toronto to see family for about a week. And I hadn't been back, I think, since the last time you and I talked, because I remember doing this from my mother's living room the last time we talked. So that's the last right. time I was there. Yeah. Well, and and you you said your mom wasn't well. Is that did you? My tell mom me has sa- sadly passed away. Unfortunately, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, that was very hard and painful. Okay, well, I'm sorry that for that. My condolences. And and I know we talked last time, and we talked about how much you were traveling, and then you ended up gravitating back to Toronto to spend some time with your mom. So I hope that you were able to do that. I did. Yes, I, yeah. I did get to see her at the end. Yep. Oh, good. Okay. Well, that, and are you still actually living in Toronto? Uh, no, I basically live in Los Angeles. So I, I do have a place to stay in Toronto, but right. I'm, okay. I'm a Los Angeles resident. I've been down here for quite a while and I like it. I'm one of the few that like it. Well, I guess some people like <laughs> it, but I hear people bashing LA a lot. And I hate to say it, Toronto's kind of catching up in terms of uh, homelessness and crime and things like that. Well, and I find too, you have to find your spot, right? I mean, unless you're living, you know, sort of in Vancouver, if it's the downtown east side, okay, yeah, you've got, you've got some mayhem down there, but the rest of the areas are fairly, you know, sane and civil. It, it's that, yes. If you have to know where to go and where, where it's safe and where it isn't safe yeah. and what time of night you should be wandering, wandering around, <laughs> yeah. so there's all that. But, you know, yeah. I grew up in Sydney, Australia. So when I first came to L.A., it was so similar. I got off the plane thinking, holy God, I'm going to live here. I love this place. Right. It's yeah. just the center of the music and film scene. So I feel yeah. at home. Well. And we talked about that last time too, about the fact that you were born in Europe, you were born in Hungary, and then you, you love going back there. And then you went to Australia and spent a good chunk of your upbringing there. And then you've been all over. You're an all over guy. I, I guess if you can call that all over, I, yes, I was born in Hungary and I'd sort of had a, another life there. I was born behind the Iron Curtain mm. uh, and lived through some communist years there. And it was... Yeah gray and bleak in many ways, although I did have a very big and loving family there, which I miss now. But uh, that was like, when I think of that kid that lived in Hungary, it's almost like another person that, you know, I might see from a movie. And then fortunately we got out, we snuck out and uh, we escaped basically and uh, moved to Australia where I lived from about seven to 17. And that was a wonderful place to grow up. You know, that's where my interest in, in film and music started developing. Yeah. And you had said that you, you got some TV commercials, that you were an actor in some TV commercials there. Yeah, correct. I mean, 
I was told by my family that ever since I was a kid, I always said I wanted to be a singer or an actor or something, which is so weird. Where does that even yeah. come, come from? <laughs> but I, I, I kind of vaguely recall that. But when I got to Australia, I met a kid who was doing commercials and I said, I want to do that. And he said, well, hmm. you should call my agent. So I, I was like 13 and I thought, well, yeah, I'll call the agent. Cool. And, you know, and I called the agent and I went down and they had me take some pictures and I started booking commercials and, I kind of loved not only being being in front of the camera, but seeing what goes on behind the camera, and that's yeah. what my interest in being a filmmaker as well. Oh, very cool! And then and then your music influence. We talked about the fact that you met the Bee Gees and that, that they were. I didn't actually realize that, so I learned that when I spoke to you last time that they had come out of Australia. But you knew them as kids, I guess, or young. I I did. My first day of high school, I met a kid who said he was a singer, and I thought, oh, that's cool, you know. And he said he was going to be on television. I thought, that's cool. And then he was on television singing on these Australian music shows. Mm-hmm. And he called me up sometime later and he said, hey, I'm hanging out with these kids and they're really good musicians. You should come over. And I went over and it happened to be, you know, the Bee Gees. Wow. So they weren't like super famous at the time. Yeah. They were performing a lot uh, and they were on television in, uh, in uh, Australia. So I knew who they were. But I was pretty blown away by them because they were very precocious. I think I might have mentioned that last time. Very precocious kids. They were playing in nightclubs. And, you know, as little 15-year-olds, they were pretty precocious kids and also amazingly talented. I mean, they would break out into song. They would pull out some guitars and start singing Beatles songs, and it would blow your mind. Like those yeah. har- harmonies that the Bee Gees have, you go, oh, my gosh, you know. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is, at the time, you have no idea these guys are going to be one of the biggest bands in the world in not too long from now. <laughs> I had no idea. You know, it could have gone either way because they were, they were yeah. struggling. I remember whenever a new single came out, would come out, uh, we would all – take these little posters, like these little flyers and stick them on telegraph poles and on construction sites, you know, the Bee Gees, new song, uh, wine and women. And we'd, yeah. we'd go around at night, uh, sticking them up on walls and stuff. And their dad would go to the record store and buy like, you know, two or 300 copies of their singles <laughs> to get the sales started. So, right. That's funny. Well, and then I, what I didn't realize too, just as a bit of a bunny trail here, but with the Bee Gees, when they did to, to love somebody, you know, you don't know what it's like to love somebody. Right. That was, that was in the late sixties, right? I mean, that was early. Yes. So they yeah. left Australia around 66 or 67, I think 67. And they were very, very, for, well, very, very talented, but fortunate enough uh, to meet Brian Epstein right before he passed away. Oh, okay. Yeah. And when Brian Epstein passed, uh, the office was kind of split up between Robert Stigwood and I'm not sure who else. And Stigwood took an instant liking to the Bee Gees okay. and got them a deal. And their first big record was New York Mine Disaster. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then I think To Love Somebody came shortly after that. A few, right. few, and- few singles after that. Yeah. And, and it's funny cause we still sing that song and everybody, even the young people, like it's one of those multi-generational tunes that everybody it's, gets. It's a brilliant song. It's oh, a, unbelievable. Yeah, brilliant it's a, piece of music. Yeah. I mean, there was, you know, they kind of had three careers. I mean, they had the stuff they did in the sixties and then they came back with uh jive talking and nights on Broadway awesome. and, and how do you mend a broken heart before that? And then, yeah. I mean, they've had something like 27 or 28, number one chart hits and then they came back with all the disco stuff which kind of was amazing but also destroyed them again came back came back again as kind of more nostalgic entertainers right i I guess after that 
Well, the interesting thing about the Bee Gees is because, you know, disco was kind of campy and guys had the, you know, disco is crap and all this stuff. But then the Bee Gees came out and they were so good that they kind of gave some credibility to an otherwise kind of corny sort of genre in some people's minds. But then they took it maybe too far with the uh, open shirts with the chest hair yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> and, and the tight satin pants. And, you know, if you look at, there's a movie called, uh, there's a documentary called How Do You Mend a Broken Heart? The Bee Gees. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's, I haven't. No, I'll watch it's, it. It's really terrific. I'm okay. actually in it. There's a very, you can see me for about two seconds. There's a, a like a little bit of eight millimeter footage of me oh, and wow. Barry in it, which I didn't know. I watched it and I totally missed it. And somebody yeah. uh, sent me a screen grab, said, is this you? I went, holy God, it is me. <laughs> and I remember the day it was taken because we used to make these eight millimeter films together. Yeah. And anyway, but they deal with the, the end of the disco era and how the Bee Gees took the brunt of the blame for that. Yeah. And it was interesting. It's, it's, I won't go into explaining it, yeah. but it was, but you, should, you should take a look at it. Yeah, I will do. Yeah. So then for you, I, you know, we talked about last time too, that how multifaceted you are and how you got into all these different things. And then I, I had asked, you know, did you think you spread yourself too thin and you, you had responded saying, well, no, cause I focused. I mean, when you're doing a movie, you're doing a movie every morning when you get up, that's what you do. But you've done writing like screenplays. I have. Yeah. So, you know, I had a really sort of decent music career starting in Canada. I got signed by EMI and Paul Dore and then uh, RCA in the States. And that's how I ended up in Los Angeles because RCA had me move down here. And then one day, I think I've told you this, but one day it just all ended. Like it suddenly a, the curtain came down mm -hmm. and I was in Los Angeles and my savings were dwindling. And after about a year, I decided, you know, I have to do something to make money. And I got a job it's one of my only uh, day jobs I've ever had. Um, I got a job selling chocolate mints over the phone <laughs> and calling up people and going, hey, uh, you know, Peter from Phaser Mints, your uh, your mint order is uh, about to renew. Are you ready to uh, order some more mints? And I met somebody at that job uh, that was from Canada, from the music business, knew who I was, said, are you, you know, tapped me on the shoulder, said, are you Peter Foldy? And I went, ooh, uh, yeah. And he goes, what are you doing here? I go, I, I don't know. I guess, I guess I'm working here just like you. Anyway, it turned out this kid had a, a connection to some filmmakers. He had uh, worked on some movies for this company. And he said, they're looking for more scripts. So I wrote a teen comedy and through this kid, I sold it. And that's what got me, you know, Crazy. that's what got me into the film business. I got to be an associate yeah. producer on that film. It was a very successful teen movie called Hot Moves, H-O-T. And it made like about $10 million. It was made on a oh. half a million dollar budget, $10 million. Yeah. Unfortunately, not for me, but for the filmmakers. But, you know, that's when I was first on a real set and I was an associate producer. And I went, wow, I want to do this. Yeah. So I, I pursued that and had a really good run of writing and directing in the 90s and then yeah. again, again that all came to an end and you know at the regroup yeah but you had gone to film school is that correct i did so i went before yeah. i did bondi junction in canada i went to film school in toronto i went to york university yeah. and studied film there but i was also playing in some bands at night right. and you know started writing songs and demoing songs and yeah you didn't come to the, the, the film business unprepared, so to speak. I mean, you had some background. I, I had a background and a background. Yeah. I, I mean, originally when I went to film school, I wanted to be a director and that's what I ended up doing. And yeah. when did we last talk? Was it something like 23 years ago? Yeah, it was uh, November, 2020. Wow. So yeah, that's when my mother passed away. That's why I was right. there. Okay. Um, yeah. So since then I've 
done 11 movies, if you can believe that. Wow, crazy. I produced 11 movies and I've directed four of them. So right before that, I had been hired to uh, direct something in Oklahoma. And I kind of figured out the the financing system of how to get movies made in Oklahoma using tax credits and, and some equity investment. And I put my own group of financiers together and we've there's four of us and we've made uh, we've made 11 movies oh good for you so well, that's the, i was curious about that because you you had done some acting and then i, I assume you like that but then you you sort of gravitated to the directing and producer role well sure that my acting really was limited mostly to tv okay. commercials i was in a couple of short films i enjoy doing tv commercials because it's easy and you basically you smile and you say a couple of things and it's it's kind of easy i don't know if i could or would want to take on the challenge yeah. of like actually acting like a big role and right. i mean okay maybe, maybe i could maybe it'd be fun but i never after a while i never really pursued acting it would became more i always kind of pursued the tv commercials didn't pursue yeah. i had an agent and if they called you up and you went out for an audition nice yeah. you know if you got the job that was great you know but i never yeah. really pursued serious acting i sort okay. of drifted yeah. into the writing and directing well the curious part to me though is that, like being a producer's got its own stress and you know getting the money together and getting the you know I mean you know the whole list better than anybody but then being the director I mean you're in the boss chair that that's a stressful that's a heavy load I actually so, love directing a lot more than producing producing okay. is a little bit too much business for me and yeah. there's different kinds of producers there's like sort of exec producers who find the money and come on and take an executive producer's credit hmm. there are producers who are kind of creative producers who uh, look for the talent, look for the material, look for a place to get the movie made. And there are line producers who are basically on set. They hire the crew. They run They run the day-to-day, the minute-to-minute. Right. Uh, and and the sets and, and yeah. everything else, I guess. And, yeah. and that's definitely not me. I mean, I'm more yeah. like a creative producer, but I, I actually love directing. It's just like a real... It's a real fun ride, you know. You kind of basically you have a vision for what it's going to look like. It's it's in a way it's like a jigsaw puzzle because you kind of shoot a master, uh, you know, a master of the scene, like showing yeah. where you are and who's moving where, and then you keep moving closer and closer for closer shots yeah. cl- over the shoulder, and then you go into the close-ups and you go into inserts of you know the hand cutting the steak, you know that kind yeah. of stuff. It's <laughs> it's putting. Uh-huh. Yeah, because any movie set I've ever been on, the, I mean, the, the the director's the boss, obviously, but it's the most stressed too. It can be anyway. It, it definitely can be very stressful. But if you have if you have a great crew and you have actors who know their lines and know what they're doing, like I mean, they say that ninety percent of making a good movie is hiring good actors hmm. because an audience doesn't really care about the shots. Oh, like look at that great pretty shot. They care about can they relate to that performer? Can they? follow the story and can they understand what's going on so having a good cast is really important yeah i I got what you're saying because if there's a shadow or the lighting guy screws something up i mean the the average person is not going to notice they won't they won't know even i mean they're supposedly uh, i i don't notice them either but there's supposedly hundreds of examples of major studio movies where some shots are out of focus and you go (laughs) you go how is that possible they're spending a hundred million dollars how how is that possible but it does happen yeah, that's it. And, and I, I would say that's the hardest job in any movie is the focus puller. Because right. imagine you're spending millions and millions of dollars. You got Tom Cruise who's getting twenty million dollars to be on the movie, and the guy who's yeah. focusing the image as Tom runs 
yeah screws it up and tom is out of focus you know what do you do you know yeah gee and there's no way in post-production to fix that i'm assuming you right? you cannot really fix out of focus no. yeah you, okay. you you look for other shots you look for other takes yeah, i got you. you can cut to the other actor but yeah focus is so important that would be stress that would be real stress for me yeah so so just a related question sorry i'm going off a little bit here but um how much now can be you've got a lot more tools in post-production now right I don't know. I think it's always been the same. I mean, it's just a different system. It's all, it's all on computers and digital, and you can do a lot more in terms of uh, special effects of you know green screening things. But right. I think okay. you, I think I think it's probably easier because of that. But in the because in, in the old days they just had film, and yep. they had to color the film in post. So if the shot was a little light let's say they could darken a little bit they right could, okay uh, add some reds to it and some blues yeah. to it they could adjust the color and you can do that a lot better now with yeah. what's going on out there but that's an area i know very little yeah. about and do you yeah. still shoot on film no no we don't nobody hardly anybody shoots on film except martin scorsese and, and big big people like that and it's all okay. shot digitally you can make it look like film you can give yeah. it a film okay. look but everything's shot digitally. So it's actually more economical. And, yeah, um, enough, yeah. you know, that's what yeah. everybody does. And and you were a music supervisor too. You, you've overseen the music on, on lots of your, the projects you've been involved in as well. Yeah. Well, as a director, I kind of get to pick the style of music. I, or I have a scene and I think, gosh, a, a nice slow ballad would be, uh, would be good here. And sometimes we'll put in hit records or records by famous people and then try and find things like that. But we usually spot the picture and try different sounding things and see what works best. But yeah. I've done that for other films and I do that for my own films as well. I don't call myself the music supervisor. If I'm the director, it's I, I'm good with a couple of credits. I don't need to be yeah. one of those guys whose name's all over the movies. Sometimes you can't help it because I'm also a producer. And then if I'm the writer and the director as well, it's like, I find it a little embarrassing, honestly, well, to take three credits, but you know, what I do you suppose, do? But you're a musician and you, you've slidden in, you know, you slide in some of your own music too when you can, right? I do when I can, if it fits, but sometimes I go, you know, I don't want to hear myself in this dance. You know, <laughs> you know I, I try and like, I've got a couple of really good songs I wrote for a movie I'm just finishing up now and I'm, I'm out to other singers to see which one fits, okay. whose voice yeah. fits the music. And so yeah. I'd rather hear other people. Yeah, right. Okay, well, cool. And and one thing I meant to ask you about last time that I never got to was the, the fact that you're an avid photographer. Obviously, it kind of makes sense, but it's just another one of the things. And then, you know, you, you've taken some photos of some pretty famous people. Yeah, I've always liked photography, you know, as even as a kid, ever since I got my first camera, I just like uh, photography. I'm like basically the uh, the record keeper of my family and my best friend's family and him, yeah, him well. and his wife and his kids. I mean all their family pictures I've taken or most of them, you know, so I do yeah. love, I love taking pictures and I've had the good fortune to, um, you know, being in Hollywood to being around some, you know, famous people. And I kind of like, I guess I'd call myself like a street photographer. I'd go to some of these functions and just take a camera. And even sometimes you weren't allowed to take pictures. I go, screw it. I just pull out the camera and snap, snap pictures if, you know, without, being too obnoxious about it. And so I've got some wow. really interesting black and whites of, of some really famous wow. people, famous people, including Tom Cruise and Bob Hope yeah. and Betty Davis and stuff like that. Just wow. from back in the, uh, in, in the eighties and nineties when yeah. I was, uh, 
getting out to more of these functions. So you applied the, uh, it's it's better to beg for forgiveness than ask for permission. Uh, Abs- absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I was once, um, so the, the reason this came about is because remember I told you I kind of ran out of money and work and I had to, and yeah. I sold, uh, be, yeah, before that happened, before I ran out of money, I was producing a show called The Hotspot Reports for a very big um, radio station here called Power 106. It was just a weekend report, and we would I had, had a girl reporter, and we would go to things like the Academy Awards and the Grammys and the Emmys, and we would she would say, hey, it's Christina. I'm reporting live from the uh, Academy Awards tonight. So-and-so has just won for, you know, so she was the reporter, and I was just putting the pieces together so we could get the credentials to even go there in the first place. So I would always take my camera. So as part of that job, you would be in a room with, you know, Uh, like, like the top stars in the world. And there was a photography room where all all you could do was take pictures. Well, I wouldn't go there because then I would be one of 500 photographers standing on ladders, just getting that one shot. I would be in the interview room. Right. And so after they did the photography, they would come in and do interviews. And oftentimes there was wine and food and everything. And people would be, you know, John Bon Jovi would be standing there and you could go up and say, hey, man, how are you doing? Or Tom, Tom Hanks, really sweet, friendly guy, you know, so you could yeah. go up and say, hey, mind if I take a picture? Or sometimes you just don't ask when you see people in some yeah. interesting situations, you just snap away. So. And you had press credentials. So you got- And I had press credentials. That's all yeah. right. That's okay. All these shots, all, all the yeah. shots of the movie stars. But uh, I've also like taken a whole bunch of pictures in Paris, which is one of my favorite cities. So I, oh. I've gone there with my camera and just did street photography, just kind of yeah. snapshots that just huh. great to my eye. Yeah, because I mean, your list here: Ronald Reagan, you know, Paul McCartney. Yeah, <laughs> to meet those guys or talk to I, them? Or? No, I, no, I did okay. not meet Paul McCartney. I would probably. Okay poop my pants <laughs> <laughs> you know if, if i had to meet anybody like him and john lennon holy god i don't know what, i'd probably be a stumbling bumbling idiot yeah. wouldn't know what it? to say what was chris farley on uh, saturday night live when he met paul mccartney yes you're paul mccartney that was so that was so very, well, that's what most people's reaction would be, right? He goes, "Why, why, yes, I am." <laughs> you know, and he seems so—he seems so down to earth. But yeah. you know, it's just like—I mean, you know, there are not many huge living legends like that left. Yeah, you know? well, right. I guess I guess there are. It depends on who you are and who you follow. Because some kid would meet Justin uh, Bieber and fall apart, and I would say, "Hey, man, what's up?" You know, I really wouldn't be that excited, but. You know, meaning somebody like Paul McCartney. Yeah, well, the Beatles are in a category unto themselves. They so are a little bit special, right? <laughs> I, I, I would say they are to me. Yeah, and then so you got some some other projects you're working on right now, and and then did you work on a musical? Is there? Did I read here that you were working on some kind of a Broadway musical or something? Um, yes, and it didn't work out. Well, it hasn't okay. worked out so far. I I had a great. A story that I optioned, actually a Beatle-related story about the mm. first band, one of the first bands signed to Apple. These young guys got signed to songwriters. And I read a, I read about this in a magazine article, and I contacted the guy, and I said, this would make a really fantastic movie. So I wrote a script and tried really hard to get the movie made. And then I thought, you know, this could also be a, a, a musical, a music like a Broadway or a West End musical. Yeah. And, uh, and um I wrote a story, I uh, wrote a, a, a musical called Liverpool Lads, which is what, you know, I called the um, 
screenplay called it All You Need Is Luck and the musical I called Liverpool Lads, but I've had okay. no luck no luck setting it up, although I've had some bites and some interest. But, you know, you don't throw anything away. Sometimes things come yeah. back around. And so I was working on that. I also wrote a Canadian a little musical review thing that I'm still working on. Um, so basically, um, my play is called Spin, and it's it's about how difficult it was um, for Canadian artists to get uh, radio airplay before CanCon, and even after CanCon started, uh, the stations got together and wanted to come up with a way to not have to play Canadian content or not have not have to play the twenty five percent at the time requirements. So mm. all the stations got together, and I I, I know this first well. It's in Wikipedia. You can look it up. And they put all the Canadian music into what they called the beaver bin, the, the music that they would play at, um, you know, between three and six in the morning when nobody was listening. Uh, and okay. you can look at, you can find this on, on Wikipedia. And, um, and basically they got together and that's what they decided to do. And I heard this uh, personally from Nevin Grant, who was one of the program directors <clears throat> who attended yeah. one of these big meetings about this yeah. issue with the radio station. The good news is eventually they came around and Canadian yeah, music sure. is, is, yeah. is huge. And for, fortunately, when my record came out, I got tons of airplay. You know, I yeah. did really well with my airplay. So maybe by that time they were starting to, uh, you know, be a lot more open to Canadian content. Well, and the other, but the other scuttlebutt about that was that they would pick the songs that were hit songs and then they'd kind of overplay them, right? You know, yeah, so. they would do that. Yes. Well, I'm not complaining because I got no, a re- no. really nice royalty check you know, <laughs> from SoCan, you know, from my, yeah. fr- from my first check. So I'm not complaining about that. Uh, no. Some, sometimes they would uh, take American hits and have Canadians record them. Oh, interesting. Uh, you know, I mean, the, yeah. I, th- I think, um, Got to Get You Into My Life was a big Canadian hit by a band uh, in Canada. I can't remember the name of it. There were other songs, other famous songs. Interesting. That would, I guess, give the radio station a level, a certain level of comfort in that, yeah. you know, it's a hit song, but it's just by a Canadian artist. So Yeah. Okay. No, that's a... So, and it was the maple designation for those who don't know. It's, it's for M-A-P-L, right? Music artist... Production and lyrics. Production and lyrics. Yeah. Yes. So you had to have two of those. From two, my of those two of those, but the more you had, uh, maybe was better. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yes, but you had yeah. to have at least two. Right. So, and it paid off for you because you had a, a genuine hit song, whereas some of the other struggling artists wouldn't get the airplay that they would want. Well, I mean, look, I had a very commercial sounding record, but, you know, was it a hit because they had to play Canadian music and they just happened? Mine was one of the lucky ones that got picked. I think part of the reason was everybody in Canada around that time was either sort of a heavy, heavier, bluesy rock band, or else they were kind of folk singers like Gordon Lightfoot or even Ann Murray. And I had sort of a very pop sounding song. Bondi Junction was kind of like an Osmonds record in a way, you know, it's kind of a bubblegummy. you know, a Gilbert O'Sullivan kind of sounding record. So not many Canadians were doing that kind of productions. And so I, you know, no no reason to analyze it really. It was, it was successful and gave me a fantastic opportunity and a a ride, but uh, yeah. 
So then when I look at your whole situation, and I, of course I reviewed it all before we spoke today, but then I, I was wondering to myself, like, what is, what is your first love or, you know, what's your best scenario? Like the, the, the music business is fun and you obviously like doing that. But one of my old counseling professors, you used to say when, when people are in counseling, they said, if you could wave a magic wand and sort of make everything the way you want it, what would that look like? You know, I really have to say I enjoy directing movies. Yeah. I enjoy I enjoy that the best, partially because the mu- the structure of the music business has changed so much. I mean, there's yeah. no touring is only available for really big bands, and that's you know like the huge acts. And they make you know billions of dollars touring. Everybody else struggles. Uh, there's yeah. no more radio airplay to speak yeah. of. You know, I mean, you if you get high rotation now, that means they play it you know, once a day, maybe that's high rotation. Whereas back in my day, it was only AM radio and they would play it 10 times a day or eight times a day. So you'd get the airplay and which would bring the income and you would, you would go out and tour to support your record. Now you make a record to support your tour. So the music business is not lucrative and it's really just a hobby. And I keep doing it because I love it. It's really fun for me to go in the studio and uh, I've, very lucky that I can stick my some of my music into movies, you know, mine or other other people's. But you know, it's 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 gotten a lot harder to be in the music business. Well, and you just recorded the new song "Jump Like This." I did. I, I that's on Spotify. It's also on YouTube. It uh, is. It yeah. is. So yeah, it's a fun little song I wrote some years ago, and I tried to get other other people to sing it. I've taken three attempts to have people sing it. Uh, first, it was a girl. Uh, she was the daughter of a friend of mine and I kind of actually wrote it for her and that didn't work out. And then I tried a couple of young Canadian singers uh, to, to take a crack at it and it just never felt right. Or for some reason or another, it just wasn't, wasn't, yeah, it wasn't happening. And when I was thinking of what I should, I kind of like putting out songs in the summer and just doing sort of happy sounding summer songs. Yeah. So um, I did one. I did one called "Fun, Fun, Fun" last year, and I thought I, I want to do another summer song. Yeah, and uh, so I thought I'm going to give "Jump Like This" a shot. So I good. I recorded it and put it out. Well, sometimes the best way to do that, it, it, to encourage people to record it, is somebody might hear it, your version of it, and go, "Hey, I could do a different twist on this, and maybe record." It. I mean, that's happened lots of times too. I, I would love that. I would love yeah. that. I love to hear other people cut my stuff. It's yeah. always it's always exciting. Yeah, and it's a very pop song, love song. It's it's almost a reggae feel of the temp- tempo and stuff. It's got yeah, that bouncy it has, kind of has a yeah. reggae feel to it for sure. Yeah, and then the fun, fun, fun is very pop as well. That's like calypso kind of a flavor too. And yeah, I mean, I just kind of started gravitating towards sort of Latin beats and you know those kind of Brazilian beats and that kind of stuff. So I'm I yeah. enjoying doing that. And yeah. uh, I've got a new one in the can that I yeah. I probably won't put it out for a while, maybe January or something like that. Because, I mean, you put it out and then you get some nice, a little bit of a detention and you get to do some nice interviews like I'm doing with you and a couple of, you know, blogs write about it. But, you know, it's, it's really, like I said, it's unfortunately just a hobby. It's very hard to actually yeah. Make a living doing music now, unless well, you are, enough. unless you're huge, like unless you're a huge star. But even even some of the biggest bands, when they put it, you know, if ZZ Top puts out a new album, the Stones is putting out a new album. I mean, I don't know what you know. Is that going to be like made in the shade? I, I don't think so. And, and you, know. you know what? If Barry Gibb put out a new album, I mean, it would get some press and some mentions. Yeah. But what would it really do? It probably wouldn't yeah. get on radio. I mean, yeah, I, I, I bet even Paul McCartney 
struggles with his new tracks. I, 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 mean, I, that, I mean, I don't know. I, I Have you heard of Paul McCartney hit single recently? I don't know. Uh, no, but I mean, and that's, that's what happens is, I mean, I, I think it's so diluted because there's so much product out there now and it's so accessible. Like you said about the radio, you know, the radio is not what used to be the center of the universe, man. If you got a song on chum or something like you were, you were, <laughs> you were off to the races nowadays. It, it's, it, I don't want to say it's irrelevant, but it's way less relevant. Let's yeah, put it that I, way. I totally agree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, by you, the way, uh, have yeah. you heard the new Rolling Stones single? It's called, Angry. I haven't. Oh my gosh, it's so good. It's called Angry. You should listen oh, cool. to it. I, Mick, I will. I'll check it out. Mick yeah. Jagger's like, what, 81 or 82? He sounds like he's yeah. 18. I mean, it's, wow. it's a phenomenal record. And so we'll see how much buzz it gets. I mean, they get buzzed because they're one of the biggest bands in the world and they're still together. But And, um, and they're about to tour. <laughs> yeah, there you go. They they like being on a tour. So the other song that you put on there was Friend Zone, which is, is quite nice, actually. I like that. It's it's another love song. It's got a really nice feel. I, I thought that came across really well. You know what? It's one of my favorites. I, I really no, actually I, like Friend Zone. And I worked with a guy called Miklos Malik, and he's yeah. a hun- Hungarian uh, producer. Lives in the, oh, He lived in the States at the time. He now lives in Dubai with his girlfriend. Mm. But uh, he's really, really talented, and he's worked with some big-name acts and stuff. Cool. And, and Yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, he, he, and I did that from, from scratch. I wrote, I had the song, uh, I write just on guitar, very simply on guitar yeah. and I give it to people like him to come up with a great groove for it. And, and I had a really good time recording that one. So yeah. Oh, really good. Yeah. Well, it comes across well. I know I, I usually put little stars beside the ones that kind of strike me and you know, you like them all, but then you want that one that like the old record guys used to say, what, what's the single, you know, they'll yeah. listen to 10 songs and go, which one jumps out? I need one that jumps out at me. Yeah. So and I think friend zone. Yeah. could be yeah. one of those, but you know, I try and write all my, like no mother has an ugly child. Yeah. <laughs> like, there you go. Exactly. Like, like all my songs are my babies <laughs> and they all jump <laughs> out at me, you know, yeah, otherwise I sure. wouldn't put them out, but yeah, I know some, True resonate, enough. some resonate more than others for sure. And friend zone is one of my favorites. So yeah. hope people will give it a listen. <laughs> and, and also you're inside the track. So you're, you're, perception is not the same as somebody who doesn't know who you who you are from adam right exactly that's very true that's very true <laughs> so then uh, the other thing i noticed that like you write a lot of love songs and a lot of um you know w- sort of rec- unrequited love songs I, I guess i'd say i was wondering how much that reflects your personal life because <laughs> you know you talk about the the singer songwriters i mean there's commercial songwriters now that just don't really care they just put out pablum to the people and it doesn't really matter what it is. And then you got the old school guys that would just, they want to hit songs. So they'll, they'll take songs from any writers. The true singer songwriter writes from his heart and sings about stuff that matters to him, like the old cowboy songs and stuff. They were living that life. Very true. Well, I kind of try and blend, like, I think love songs is still the main theme and story that people relate to when they listen I would to, say to, I'd to, agree with that to music yeah. as yeah. much as I try not to write love songs I always end up <laughs> going back to a love theme if you listen to toxic world have you heard that one of course yeah I yeah. watched the video it's excellent really yeah. good yeah uh, so toxic world is really was inspired by global warming I wanted to see you know, that young girl Greta uh, Thalberg or whatever her name is. Thunberg. Yeah. Thunberg. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, you know, she's, she's like a real hero. I mean, she's given up school and education to sort of pursue this message. And, you know, I wanted to, when I wrote toxic world that was kind of inspired by all that. And it really is becoming a toxic world with hurricanes and fires and all this other stuff and, and all the other bad things going on in the world. But 
I did weave in a love story, you know, into that one because we're living in a toxic world. But if we stay united, you know, we can we can make it through. Not, and that's just for a boy and a girl, but also just for people in general. So yeah, that sure. was my most political song to date, yeah. of, of sorts. I was trying to not write your typical love song. Yeah, right. And and you're right. I mean, you make a good point. Is that I I think I don't know what the percentage would be, but it's very high. Most songs are are love songs or or breakup songs or I mean, Fleetwood Mac rumors. The jo- joke about that album was always that it's a whole album about breakup. Yeah, yeah. Almost every song. And I think the breakups were all in the band. I think they're yeah, all there you go. they're all breaking each other's hearts and stuff. That, oh, I guess I guess that happens. Yeah, that's. So <laughs> And so, so again, you know, but to, to revisit that, like, who is your audience these days? You know, I, like, I, I wish I knew. I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I get, I seem to get on, I kind of go after playlists. There's ways to submit to playlists. And I have a publicist, yeah. Eric Alper, who's a really terrific publicist and really, uh, you know, just really good at what he does. I've had him on, actually had him on the show. Yeah. No, I, and no. I've never met the guy, but you know, he seems really interesting. So I'd love to, I'd love to you know, have a drink with him, but he, I don't know. He's, he's a busy guy. I mean, I'm only in Toronto for four or five days at a time. So yeah. it's, it's hard to connect, but um, so, you know, I hire him and there's a site called submit hub that anyone can basically put their song up on. And you basically go out to curators who have uh, Spotify playlists and, you know, if you're lucky, they basically put you on their playlist and that kind of grows from there people listen yeah. from there but who my audience is i have no idea man yeah it's interesting because eric alper i mean he just loves music and he loves musicians and he just wants to promote the music but imagine imagine if you're hungry and you walk into a warehouse and there's there's food everywhere and there's rows and rows and of beautiful great food yeah where do you start i mean you know and and everyone's clamoring to hey, come over and try mine well you only got so much in you that you can put in your stomach and there's a whole warehouse full of food i mean that's kind of what the music business is now it, you know they say forty thousand uh tracks are put on spotify each day forty well, thousand cra- crazy yeah it's like crazy how, how, how do you listen you know yeah. so so some form of promotion is essential because like like i heard the stones record yesterday i was uh, sitting at the airport getting ready to fly back and i I was blown away by it and i i emailed and texted about four or five friends dude you gotta check out the stones new single yeah you know that's and that's how it spreads word of mouth but but they have that springboard too i mean you have it in some measure because you had a genuine hit song which most people never had i mean it's, it's it's it is a fairly small group um, of people who had a you know a number one song or or even a top ten song, but you, so know, you, you know it, it was so long ago, so I don't yeah. think anybody remembers or cares or you know I mean people I guess of a certain age remember the song, but they're getting yeah you know up there and uh, you know it was a long time ago. It's crazy because it feels like not that long ago, but it was, <laughs> it was a long time ago, fifty so, almost fifty years. Uh, right? I mean, when you say that, yeah. like I, yeah. you know. I, I, you know, holy God, I freak out. But, but then, so, so the springboard effect, you know, doesn't work that, I mean, even if, if ZZ Top puts out a new album and they sell 50,000 copies, that would be a great thing, right? I mean, that would be amazing. Or the, the Stones has the ultimate springboard, I suppose. They do. But if the, the ZZ Top had the ZZ Top room in Vegas, I think they would do very well. I think there would yeah. be an audience who would come to see them. You yeah, know, right. Lots, lots of old acts. And I was talking to somebody about that. I mean, I think it's maybe too late now, but wouldn't it be great to do like, uh, like a sort of a Canadian tour with other Canadian acts of that era? You know, like Edward no. Bear and and uh, uh, 
who's the guy that sang uh, Seasons in the Sun? Um, oh, uh, Terry Jacks. Yeah. Terry Jacks. Or, you know, pe- people, uh, none of those guys want to go out on the road. I would do it in a heartbeat. Yeah. But, you know, I'm still running around on movie sets for 18 hours a day. So, you know, <laughs> there you go. people my age are retired, you know, and I'm, I'm never yeah. going to retire. <laughs> I'll be, I'll no, be in a wheelchair making, making tracks. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. And, and, and that's and, the way. And, and, and saying action, you know. <laughs> Well, good. Well, no, I mean, that's the thing. You got to find a place. That's why I asked the question, what's your first love? Or if you could wave a magic wand, it sounds like you're pretty much where you want to be. I think I'm very, very fortunate to have had, you know, sort of the film business come back around for me because I thought I was done in terms of directing because it's just as hard to get a movie to direct as it is to have a hit record. I mean, somebody's giving you millions of dollars or, you know, we're, we're making low budget movies right now, but lower budget movies, but people yeah. are still, you still have to come up with the money and somebody has to have the trust and the faith in you right. to, to let you do that. And like the music business, the film business is a young man's game. I mean, after yeah, right. 40 in Hollywood, they go, eh, you know, his sensibility, he's got old sensibility, you know, unless you're Woody Allen or somebody that's already super right. established. Yeah, established. But so it's all hard and I'm very, very fortunate in my career to at least do what I love doing, making music and making some films and writing scripts and, you know, it's, it's, it's it's fun. And I was going to say about the, even the Broadway musicals, like, you know, people may not realize, but to launch a Broadway show, it's millions of dollars. It's about 10, $10 million. Crazy. And, and Broadway shows are just so hit and miss. People put yeah. up ten million dollars in the movie. Uh, the uh, the play flops in, uh, yeah. you know, flops in three nights. They closed, you know, they closed by Sunday. It happens yeah. all the time. Yeah, there you go. So it's 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 all a tough business, right? And and you talk about the radio business. How relevant is that to you these days? Like the radio play. I would love radio play. Um, there are some stations. I, I, well, for instance, just to get the. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The respect, I guess. Like there's a station called The Jewel and they used to play Bondi Junction and Roxanne and all my other other records. They won't touch me now for some reason. And like my music is a perfect fit for them. Like yeah. they play one of my tracks that I think they forgot that they left on there. <laughs> it's called, uh, it's called, is there love in your heart? And people, yeah. I think it's still on their playlist, but I've sent them, toxic world i've sent them friend zone i've sent them fun 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 they won't touch it you know Interesting. They just, yeah like the guy said wrote back to to my publicist and said uh, uh we don't play peter foley records okay <laughs> well thank you <laughs> interesting because you know? a, a friend of mine he got uh, al harlow is uh, i know him quite well from vancouver here and he was in prison of course and there's a radio station in philadelphia and they play older canadian artists who are putting out new songs there's a station like that in Mi- Minneapolis. Uh, yeah, there's there a lady. Go. In fact, I got to send her this. New- oh no, she's already playing it. I wrote to her and she said, "I already, I'm already playing it." And oh, she okay. plays a lot of old CanCon, and it's a it's a college station, but she plays it. So there are little pockets of people who play it, but yeah. it would be nice for the Canadian content to get on the Jewel to get on. There's a station called. Um, AM 740 yeah. and they play like sort of oldies, like really just nice feel good oldies. And I think they play my stuff, you yeah. know, but there's not much radio left, you know, to, yeah. to get onto the, the big stations like chum in Toronto and the big ones, uh, whatever, uh, I heart radio. It's impossible. You have to be on a major label. You have to have, you know, 10 million followers on Spotify and uh, you know, 
that's kind of what they judge it on. I mean, some of the stuff that's on radio, I kind of go, okay, what's that? You know? Yeah, obviously it's, it's on there for particular reason, maybe not because of what it is as a song, but then like we talked about the buzz when we were younger, you know, there was a real buzz around music. AM radio was the center of the universe. If you wanted to hear new songs and stuff, and that's just not the case anymore, even for the new artists. So I agree. You do. Right? No, what do you do? You just do, you reinvent your audience and you reinvent what you do and you just find outlets for it. And if nobody, yeah. if only your family hear it, then you've made your family happy. There you go. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, the reason I, I mentioned that is because I just spent a, a serious amount of money and recorded an album just because I wanted to do it. You know, and I, and at my age, I don't have any stars in my eyes at this point, but I just wanted to see if I could, you know, hang with those guys and do it. So I got a world-class producer who's done a bunch of major albums and uh, said, would you produce an album for me? And he said, sure. So we did 10 songs and that's going to be coming out later this year. Oh, but, I'd, I'd love to hear it. And well, not just because that. I'm curious, but also because maybe I could use it in a movie. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely send it to you. It's, it's world-class stuff. I, I, like I said, I'm spending tens of thousands of dollars, which I don't ever expect yeah. <laughs> to get back. But you know, I mean, if for me, it was just a labor of love and that's why I, I sort of relate to what you're saying because you're saying that I love doing it. So I'm yeah. doing it. What Whatever. genre? What genre do you? It's uh, it's pop rock. It's retro, and it's it's really high quality stuff. I mean, I I spent a lot of years uh, recording, and and I finally got to to sit down with a real producer and just make a, a serious album. And again, I don't I don't have any expectation of that's what I'm saying. Who's your audience? Where do you find them? How do you monetize it? Well, those questions are all kind of <laughs> how well, do you answer those questions these days? Well, here's an interesting thing. I, I mean, I've been told by everybody it's a singles world. Like I've got enough stuff to put on, you know, create a new album. You know, I could take Toxic World and Friend Zone and all yeah. of these, and I've got about four new ones I haven't released. But everyone says don't bother. Because no one's going to download your whole album. They're just, it's a singles yeah. world. So I would pick, if I were you, I'd pick a single, your best single, hire Eric Alper to promote it, and then yeah. just try and get as much Spotify airplay as you can. And yeah. also try and get regular airplay. I mean, there's ways to get at the radio stations, but I don't know if they pay any attention if it doesn't come from a major label. Yeah. And if it's not, I mean, you, you want to find that song that everyone listens to and goes, wow, that's great. I mean, and those are hard to find too, but again, I, the reason that I wanted to do a full album is because I wanted the producer to, to be sort of all in. And then of course, if somebody hears a song that they like from you, the, the first question that usually comes up is what else have you got? What else you got? Yeah. You know, Look, it's like, oh, yeah. it's, it's a wonderful, if you have that ability to create music, then just do it for the, for yeah. the fun of it, do it for yourself. Exactly. Yep. And you never know who's going to respond to it. Like when I'm, did my demos of Bondi Junction? I had no idea. I did. I didn't ever imagine in a million years that I would get a record contract. I was recording in a little basement somewhere, and yeah. I finished finished the track. And I just called somebody, a music publisher lady that I knew, and she said, "I got a guy in my office who just started a new label." I said, "Really?" You know, I said. Yeah. She said, "Yeah, you should call him." Called him the next day, and you know, a week later, I had a record contract. It was literally oh, like like crazy winning, winning the lottery. So, so stuff happens. It can yeah. happen, you know, but I'd love to hear your album. So yeah, no, please, I appreciate it. I, please send it out, you know, send yeah, it. Yeah. I'll stay in touch with you and I'll send it to you. Yeah. I would, I'd love that. Well, so it, good. It sounds like you're busy and you got the same attitude as me. I'm never going to retire. You're just going to keep going and, and, uh, you got a bucket list, but I guess your bucket list isn't really specified. It's just, you're going to keep working. 
I just like being creative. I mean, yeah. I find I find that really important, and I hang out with a lot of creative people. Like all my friends are either musicians or filmmakers. I right. enjoy those conversations. I love seeing movies. I live in LA, so I get to go to a lot of cool screenings nice. and yeah. see, seeing things. But I also love, like on the plane, I, I try and find obscure French movies that look interesting. And I just like, I love movies and I love, yeah. I, lo I love stories. And, you know, yeah. I think I have a lot to tell because I've lived in a bunch of places and, yeah, you know, so. You, so. you speak French? I don't speak a word of French. Well, no, okay. a, a few words of French. I, I, I speak fluent <laughs> Hungarian. Here's something yes. I haven't, haven't told you before. Um, so I speak fluent Hungarian. I read and write because I was born in Hungary. Right. And I'm in a little bit of a Hungarian loop group here in Los Angeles. So whenever <laughs> they make a movie that has a scene in Hungary, they need Hungarian background speakers. They need people oh. in, in the restaurant mumbling in Hungarian. It's called Walla, you know, yeah. re restaurant Walla, party Walla. So they hire uh, members of the Screen Actors Guild who sp uh, speak Hungarian, which I'm a member of, and even though we're on strike right now, you know, and you get paid like really decent money to go in the studio and do this Hungarian background. And I've done about five or six big movies like Mission Impossible and Spy and, Interesting. Uh, and uh, Black Widow. I think that was what it was called. Like, And it pays like the same way like a TV commercial would pay. Like every yeah. time they show the movie or sell the movie or whatever, I don't know what their formula is. But yeah. you can make actually a few grand, you know, doing oh, this good. stuff yeah. beyond, beyond the initial fee. So yeah. I really enjoy doing that too. So oh, I understand. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I'm, su I'm surprised that they give you points on that. They, they you, you'd think they would be work for hire. It's 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 a work for hire, but you get residuals. And yeah, that's I, great. I, I, I came home last night from uh, Toronto, and I had two che two little checks. <laughs> you know, yeah. the checks dwindle down to thirty bucks yeah. or twenty yeah. bucks. So I've gotten as low as a penny. But yeah. <laughs> you know, but you do keep getting checks. Well, yes, it's absolutely. It's, it's awesome. But it's, I gotta say, if you go into the entertainment business for money. I think you're kind of missing the point. I think you've got to yeah. love it. You've got to feel really gratified by it. You've got to have a desire to create. And yeah. if the money comes, so be it. And if it doesn't, just do it anyway. Just yeah, do, it, I, do it for the fun. I'm right 100% with you. I do it because I love it. And it's, I was going to ask you, do you, did you speak Russian too when you grew up? No, I didn't speak Russian. But you know, that was one of the courses that was coming up. As you get older in Hungarian schools, they do. At that time, okay. they did... Uh, want to teach yeah. you teach you russian but okay we, we we got the hell out of there before good good for you that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> before i had to learn to speak russian yeah interesting well good well it sounds like you're super busy and of course you you're building your own legacy and and the things that you uh will leave behind eventually which is the the music and the movies and the the, the you know the friends obviously but the uh, associates that you have in the business and stuff so I'm, I'm really happy to hear your story i'm glad that you came back on and we got to kind of revisit yeah. i i listened to our first interview which was very good actually and and uh i just wanted to do a follow-up and see what you're doing no, now I, and, and I, it's an inspiration thank you dan Many thanks to my guest, Peter Foldy, for once again being part of the Liner Notes podcast and sharing some insights from his expansive career and the interesting life that he's lived. More information on his musical pursuits, as well as film and photography and musical supervision, all the things that he does, is at peterfoldy.com. Great website, lots of stuff on there. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and invite you to subscribe to it and share it on social media so others can enjoy it as well. And we also invite you to listen to Dusty Discs Radio Tuesdays and Thursdays to hear music from the Canadian artists you're hearing on this show. So until next time, I'm Dan Harris.